Hi, welcome to Lambert Park Church. Our vision is life with God for the world. Our mission is to invite everyone to follow Jesus with us through redemptive community, intentional discipleship, and everyday mission. We're so glad you're here. Stay tuned for the podcast coming right up. Lord, we thank you for your spirit that you, by your grace, continue to be a God who speaks by your spirit, through your word, and through your people. And so we ask again today that you would anoint the preacher, that you would breathe through your word today, and that you would open us up to your voice, to who you are and how you are toward us, how you are with us, how you are at work today, Lord. We thank you for one another right here. We come as a community and we ask that you would lift us up to yourself. You would lead us to yourself today. Amen. Okay, here we go. (laughs) All right, let that be a sign to all of you to put your phones on silent. Please. I would like to start today with a thank you. I am the first, as has been said, in a team of speakers from our congregation who have been meeting together, studying the Psalms of Ascent and studying preaching in general. And most of us are very new to opening up a passage of scripture and teaching from it. And it is such a gift to have a church family that welcomes us to practice. A church willing to listen to other voices. Specifically, it's a gift to be in a church that welcomes me as a woman. And I just wanna say thank you, and I don't take that lightly. And as the wife of Scott, it is a gift to our family to have a church that welcomes him to step back from the weekly rhythm of doing this, which is a crazy job, (laughs) I gotta say, and to focus on the many other aspects of his work, including prayer for each of you, meeting with you, and looking forward to what's coming next. So thank you for that for him. So, a church that is okay with novice is an incredible thing. A church that is kind and generous, that celebrates authenticity over expertise, and a church who wants to hear from God more than from a specific speaker. So, thanks. Okay, the Psalms of Ascent. As we've been exploring these last three weeks, this grouping of songs was a pilgrim's playlist in the life of the Jewish people while they traveled to Jerusalem for three yearly festivals. Imagine getting ready for a long trip. You're packing, you're cleaning, you try to find a neighbor who can water your garden while you're gone. You step out of your door, you begin walking down the road, and other people step out of their doors and start walking with you and you leave your little town, and you get on the road to Jerusalem, and you join other people who are walking to Jerusalem. And suddenly, you are a throng of pilgrims heading to Jerusalem for a festival. Woo! And you share stories and snacks and experiences along the way, and people take care of your kids, and you take care of other people's kids, and you sing. You sing songs that have been taught to you when you took this very journey as a little child with your parents going to Jerusalem. You sing songs that you don't sing 
Any other time of the year. You don't sing this in synagogue on Saturday. You sing this when you're on the road. Songs of sojourn. Special songs. Did I say that right? Special songs written just for this very trip. Some you love, some you don't love. Pretty sure this song is one of the latter. But the first song you sing is one of leaving. Too long have I lived among those who hate you. The second one is, I lift my eyes up to the mouth. Oh, I love this song. Third one is, I rejoice when they said unto me. Anyone know this song? I rejoice when they said, anyone unto me? No? Yes. I rejoice when they said unto me, Penny Coswells, let us go to the house of the Lord. Woo, woo, yes, let's go. Let's go worship. I love this song. This is my jam. And then we hit Psalm 123. And it goes like this. I lift up my eyes to you, to you who sit enthroned in heaven. As the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master. As the eyes of a female slave look to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to you, Lord our God, till he shows us mercy. Have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy on us. For we have endured no end of contempt. We have endured no end of ridicule from the arrogant or contempt from the proud. Can we skip? Can we skip this one? Can we skip this one? Is it just me or does it seem like the producer of this playlist got something wrong? Who would want to sing this song? We've gone from an upbeat, joyous celebration to a sincerely depressing dirge, a song that is uncomfortable, all this talk of slavery and contempt and the need for mercy. And let's not forget that these are Israelites singing this song, a people with a collective history of slavery, a brutal enslavement for 400 years. This trauma is in the very bones of the Israelites and probably the purpose of this very pilgrimage. They're going to a festival to celebrate the end of slavery. Why would they want to sing this? Why would we, why would anybody want to preach on this psalm? It's a good question. Well, let's pause and look at it again with the assumption that this psalm has been chosen by God to be included in his word. It was not just for people of the past. It is an ongoing revelation of who he is and what he cares about. The whole Bible is a story of the good news of God being God. So somehow, this psalm has to be good news. And not just for the ancient pilgrim hiking to Jerusalem, but for us too. Verse one. I lift my eyes up to you, to you who sit enthroned in heaven. This spring brings back memories of a couple tunes ago. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. But now the singers are declaring that the God they serve is over the mountains, enthroned in heaven. Only a king sits on a throne. So the song encourages the singer to remember to lift their eyes to the king reigning over everything. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, Colossians 3 admonishes us. Take your eyes off the hard road you're traveling, your tired feet, your annoying companions, your bad back, the fears around the next corner. Look up. 
As Eugene Peterson, a pastor we've been continually referencing in this series admonishes. If God is God at all, he must know more about our needs than we do. If God is God at all, he must be more in touch with the reality of our thoughts, our emotions, our bodies than we are. If God is God at all, he must have a more comprehensive grasp of the interrelations in our families and communities and nations than we do. God knows more about our suffering and our joy than we ever could. He knows the root causes, the lingering sin, the choice someone made maybe perhaps years ago, perhaps in another time zone that have made possible whatever we are experiencing right now. He knows all of it. The question is, will we trust him enough to look to him? Ben Patterson explains, if sin and darkness do nothing more than to keep our eyes looking down, then they have done their worst. I'm imagining looking at this slide with somebody looking down on their phone. There's some parents who are like, mm. And there's some kids who are like, mm, right back at you, parent. <laughs> Anyways. I can remember a speaker years ago when I went to Trinity. Uh, he, I can't remember his name, sadly, but maybe one of you will remember if you went there. And he was this very, very sick man. He was very frail. And I remember thinking, he's not going to make it across the gymnasium to where he needs to speak. Like, he was so infirm. But he spoke about... Jesus on the cross, and he spoke so vividly, I could see Jesus on the cross. I could see him, and it was so uncomfortable and painful. And then the speaker said, lift up your head, and he did this, push his chin up, lift up your head, look in the face of Christ. He loves you. And this experience of this shame and uncomfortableness turn into this experience of, oh, he loves me. If sin and darkness do nothing more than to keep our eyes looking down, then they have done their worst. We lift our eyes to you. We lift our eyes to you. To you who sit enthroned in heaven, to the God over all, who reigns over all, and who loves us. Okay, I like this song's intro. I can see the good news in this, but then we hit the second verse. As the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a female slave look to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he shows us his mercy. The picture in my mind when I read the word slave, actually the word obsequious came to mind, because I read novels with words like that, is of a bowing, scraping servant, dressed in rags, eyes diligently focused on the hand, on the lounging, rich owner, ready to follow orders. This guy. <laughs> this is the house elf from Harry Potter, if you do not know. When I imagine myself as this servant, I see a finger 
pointing to a cup and I run and I fill the cup and then I run back to my corner and I watch some more and I am focused on the hand. I am nobody. I am a possession. I am completely at the mercy of my master. Well, that was the first picture to enter my mind when I read this psalm. But then I quickly started imagining God as my master. What if I was a slave looking to the hand of someone who loved me fiercely? Someone who only ever asked me to do things for my benefit. Someone who took incredible care of me and wanted me to have a full life. What if I was a slave looking to the hand of someone who would go to unfathomable lengths to pay off my previous owner, who would sacrifice his own son to pay the debt, someone who adopted me into their family and dressed me in fine robes and gave me a share of the family inheritance? What if I was a slave to a master like this? Well, this is a master worth serving. This is a master to watch with anticipation, excited for their next move. This is a master to trust with all of my needs, a master I'm proud to serve, but to have a master, of course, necessitates being a servant, which, of course, we don't want to be. We want freedom, autonomy, respect, and worth. Well, Jesus taught that everyone who sins is a slave to sin, and that's a hard teaching to accept. Whoa, 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 Jesus, I'm no one's slave. Pretty sure I'm mastering myself just fine. Thank you. And that's exactly how the people felt the first time he said it. Let's look at the context in John 8. This is a time when Scott would say, if you want to pull out your Bible app and find John, he lent me his large print Bible, which I appreciate. John 8, starting at verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, uh, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Well, here the early disciples of Jesus say, ah, uh, we're not slaves, we're Israelites, which is interesting. They seem to be skipping right over their 400 years of enslavement in Egypt. But don't we do the same? We're not slaves, we're Canadians. We're not slaves, we're Christians. But perhaps we're glossing over our enslavement to money, to comfort, to health, to entertainment. In 2 Peter, Peter writes, people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. And what is that thing that makes us feel secure falling asleep at night? Is it money in the savings account? Is it our children in their beds? Is it medicated pain relief? Is it having the last word? Is it knowing exactly what to expect from tomorrow? What or who is the master of our peace, our contentment, our happiness. Peter understands enslavement. It only takes a cursory read of the Gospels to see him bowing to fear again and again. But Jesus, possibly looking into Peter's eyes, said, 
I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus doesn't meander around the point, we're servants, but somehow in this dedication of our lives to following Jesus, he has elevated our status. Enslavement to God is the only slavery that leads to freedom. Enslavement to God is the only slavery that leads to freedom. What a mind twist that is. The more I let go of my own will and plans and submit myself to God, the freer I become. I'm let in on all these plans of God. I'm invited to take a part as a friend, but not just a friend, as a child, but not just as a child, as an heir. Galatians says, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child, and since you are his child, God has made you also an heir, an heir of God's kingdom with our share of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control, an heir of all the goodness and glory of God. This is what slavery to God affords us. Our eyes look to God, king over all. We lift up our eyes to this master, ready to do whatever he asks us to do. We lift up our heads, training our eyes on the hand, on the one who is in charge of everything, fixing our eyes on his next direction till he shows us his mercy. And now we come to the last verse and the purpose of the psalm. Have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy on us. For we have endured no end of contempt. We have endured no end of ridicule from the arrogant, of contempt from the proud. Psalm 123 is a song of asking for mercy because of enduring contempt. Mercy is what we can expect from this master of ours. Mercy is the good news of Christ coming to earth in human form to pay off our old slave master sin and to pull us into the family of God. The root of the word mercy means to stoop, to be inclined. We ask for mercy because we know this is the heart of God. For us, this is the stooping low that he's, he's already done in Christ. God is the master of the slave trade of mercy. He doesn't sell it. We don't have to work for it. He gives it freely. But this is what he's shipping. This is what fills the storehouses of heaven. Mercy. We see this psalm, we see in this psalm the uppercase, sorry, I've got tears in my eyes. <laughs> Okay, we see in this psalm the uppercase Lord because we are calling to mind not just any master, but Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord, the gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. This is how God defines himself in Exodus. This is who he has promised to be forever, compassionate, 
gracious, slow to anger, faithful, abounding in love. If I am a slave, and according to Jesus, I am. If I am a slave, then this is the master I want to serve, the master of mercy. And now we come to the heart of the psalm. Give us yourself, Lord, have mercy on us, for we have endured no end. I have found this translated, we have had our fill. We have had our fill of contempt. We have had our fill of ridicule from the arrogant, of contempt from the proud. Contempt involves a looking down on someone as though they are in a lower status, how one would look down on a slave, perhaps. This is the opposite physical stance of the first line of our psalm where we're looking up to Yahweh, to the God of mercy who stoops down in love to us. Contempt, ridicule, and arrogance go hand in hand as this looking down includes disrespect, perhaps cutting words, or an attitude of disgust or indifference. Contempt is a dehumanizing, belittling of others. Far better for a person to hate you openly than treat you as though your life is so insignificant to theirs, they take no notice of you. Have mercy on us, Master, for we have had our fill of contempt. Perhaps you are experiencing the world's contempt as a Christian by those who look down on you from their perch of intellectual or even moral superiority, or those who are hostile to religion, those who confidently claim that they are their own God and find your obedience to a different master, frankly, stupid. If you are living under contempt, this is a psalm for you. This is a prayer for you to pray, knowing that you're not the first or the last person to feel the way you're feeling, knowing your God of mercy has placed this in his word because he sees you and he loves you and he wants to look up into his face, look up into his face, into his love for you, into his mastery. But perhaps you're not experiencing contempt and so feel like this is a part of the song where you'll just let your voice peter out and grab a swig of water from your canteen. And I'm gonna do that because I looked up into those lights and now I can't see anything. <laughs> okay. Wow. Don't stop singing yet. Because slavery to anything other than God leads to a filling up of contempt. Slavery to anything other than God offers us nothing but more slavery. Nothing but smallness. Nothing but dehumanizing indifference. Let's work this out with an example. What has our slavery to money given us? I'll be good once I reach, once I reach this salary. Okay, this, okay, this salary. Or I'll be happy once I have this house or this car or this much in my RRSP, but it's never enough. There's always more needed. There's inflation, there's comparison, there's lust and envy for what so-and-so has, and on and on and on the slavery goes, and our souls shrink until we find ourselves buried in the corner, looking to the hand of our enslaver, ignored, terrified, suffering. Money doesn't care about us. Money doesn't know we exist. 
Slavery under any other master necessitates oppression. So we read in Romans 6, just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness, but what benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you're now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. What has slavery to anything other than Christ offered us? What have we benefited from enslavement to money, to popularity, to position, to fear, to pornography, to bitterness, to sex, to comparison, to that relationship or that job or that object? What has our enslavement to our phones or our social media accounts actually given us? Oppression, enduring slavery, dehumanizing contempt. Peterson explains the Christian realizes that every relationship that excludes God becomes oppressive. Recognizing and realizing that we urgently want to live under the master of God. Every relationship that excludes God becomes oppressive. Well, let's look back at this passage in John that you all took your Bibles out to find. Oh, I didn't mark it. That was silly of me. Okay, whatever. I'm going to go for my sheet. You know I have a Bible, and then I use it. It's right here. I'll hold it in my hand. <laughs> to those who have believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? And Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a sin Sorry, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. This is Jesus talking, the son of God, the son of the master of mercy. He's saying, I'm the family member of the master of the universe and I have the power to set you free from slavery to other masters. He can walk into the cages of our lives. He can cut the chains. He has purchased our freedom for us by offering himself in our place on the cross. The mercy of God is the answer to the enslavement of other gods. Have mercy on us, God. Save us, for we have had are fill of other masters. Suddenly, I wanna sing this song. This is my jam. I'm so glad it's on the playlist. Yes, my heart says, yes, I look up to you, God, maker and sustainer of everything. I look to you for my next move. I look to you for my identity. I look to you for my worth. I follow your commands because I've had my fill of other masters. I've had my fill of contempt and arrogance from others and inside myself. We are all slaves. Isn't that a sickening thought? We are all slaves. And when our eyes are opened, 
when the glamour of the lies we're believing about our so-called personal freedoms fall away, we are all weak, in chains, struggling for our next breath, worshiping the thing that's killing us. Eyes trained on the hand, back bent, hungry to obey, willing slaves. Because according to the Bible, we're not only slaves, but we choose our master. So the question this morning is, who or what is mastering you? Who or what is mastering me? I've been contemplating this question for weeks now. And this is an excerpt from my journal while I was meditating on Psalm 123. What am I looking to for mercy, for relief, for rescue? Another art sale? Love from those around me? When will I feel secure? When will I feel understood? Where are my eyes looking? I have had my fill of social media informing me I'm not measuring up. I have had my fill of believing that a healthy body is the road to happiness. I have had my fill of fear for my children, of worry for my husband. I have had my fill of wishing I looked a certain way, of wishing I act a certain way. I have had my fill of discontent. Have mercy. Save me, God of compassion and love and faithfulness. I have been serving other gods and they are killing me. Bind me to you again, Lord. Show me again the kind of master you are. Lift up my eyes to you and make me your servant again. Will you... Will we, this morning, lift up our eyes? Lift up our eyes to the king over everything, the only master that promises and provides freedom and an inheritance. Will we take a hard look at our lives, what we are enslaving ourselves to? Recognize the arrogance and contempt behind other masters and receive the mercy and love of God. For the last two weeks, I've had this song running through my head and honestly, I don't know if it actually fits all that well with what I've just spoken of, but I can't get it out of my head. So I'm gonna sing it for you this morning. And you can take this time to sing the song or you can take this time to just listen to what the Spirit is saying to you. Receive the mercy and love of God. enough for me to put my other this mic on mute or do I need to turn it actually off? No, that's good. That's good.
drunk. <laughs> to do. 